football is back. Well, sort of. Ohio State's football players returned to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center on Monday for their first week of voluntary summer workouts after three months away from the team facilities due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's what we're going to start by talking about here today on Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas-Hill as always. And even though you know we're not allowed to watch these workouts, they're voluntary, they're not you know throwing passes or tackling anybody yet, it's still a good feeling to know that the football players are back on campus and there seems to be more and more momentum building toward an on-time start to the football season. Dan, you were um, one of the paparazzi who were there and taking photos and videos of players walking in and out of a building for uh, about half the day. I was uh, up in Cleveland uh, paying attention. What what did it feel like? What did it, did it did it actually feel like there was football sort of semi back, or were you like, why am I here watching players walk into a building? We still have months away from the season. It was basically a longer, slower hotel check-in day, which uh, I assume most of you are familiar with. But basically, when the team starts preseason camp, uh, they go to a team hotel for a couple weeks, and the day that they arrive, all the media stands out there and lines up and takes pictures of them walking into a building. And it's kind of become a uh, tradition. It's it's often mocked, but, uh, you know, a tradition for, you know, the players, uh, you know, they'll wear you know fun shirts and stuff, and they'll all uh, walk into the building. You know, this was kind of a more serious, but longer and slower version of that. Um, you know, players weren't wearing you know goofy t-shirts or anything. You know, they they were there to work out. They were there uh, to take care of business. And I think because of that, it did give you that sense of hey, you know, they're they're back now. They're they're back and getting ready to prepare for the season. But uh, I'd be lying to you. Uh, if, if you were asking me to give a bunch of takeaways from what I learned about the Ohio State football team yesterday, I'd be lying to you if I, if I said there was a whole lot of that because uh, we literally just watched players walk in and out of a building for about eight hours. But, but you know, the, the one nice thing about it is after being cooped up uh, in my apartment for most of the last three months and uh, not really a whole lot of social interaction, it was nice to see some of... Uh, uh, our friends from the beat again and, and get to uh, catch up with people and get to be out and covering something in person um, was a nice change of pace because I really hadn't done that in months. Yeah, anytime you can either you can ever even see people uh, right now, even remotely associated to Ohio State football is progress in my mind. Um, when you talk about you're unable to have any real takeaways of anybody walking in and out of a building very understandable dan but i will say you know maybe there were a couple things that i noticed from photos or videos like one dewan jones still still a giant uh two big. two it was good to you know actually see trey sermon um other than you know get videos of him from from afar um and then three i feel like we have to mention what has happened to mayan williams because Mayan Williams committed as a three-star running back, an overlooked guy. Ohio State obviously had gone after 105 other running backs in the class, and then they end up with Mayan Williams. And, you know, the, the knocks on him were, you know, maybe athletically he's not necessarily where um, generally Ohio State running backs are, and he's slower than them. Maybe he has uh, some – I, I think that the, the idea was that, you know, he needed to – 
to gain more muscle and, and make sure that he is the he is the kind of he maximizes what he is and that's going to be a power back at Ohio State and I've got to say in the past year the guy who showed up at camp checking got check-in day I mean that's that that is that is legit that he he is he has legitimately put on an incredible amount of muscle and and I think he deserves props for for his uh, his transformation. Yeah, Mayan's Twitter display name is Fat Boy, but he is no Fat Boy anymore. He he is ripped. Uh, he he absolutely passes uh, the look test for what you'd want to see in a Division One running back, especially one who's literally was walking in for his first workout as a college football player. So, uh, undoubtedly, uh, an impressive transformation for him, and certainly. Uh, you know, doing what he needs to do. You know, I mean, being a guy who's coming in as a lower-ranked running back, uh, you know, a guy who some might view as a long shot to really play a lot at Ohio State, that's what you have to do if you're a guy in that position, is you've got to show up for your first day uh, of working out at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center in the best shape of your life, and it certainly looks like he's done that. Yeah, he's in an, he's in an interesting position where right now this year um, there's actually a chance if he can really – put something together in the preseason for him to gain some amount of carries because Trey Sermon's ahead of him. But other than Trey Sermon, it's Steel Chambers, who redshirted last year. It's Marcus Crowley, who's coming off an ACL injury. It's Master Teague, who's still rehabbing an Achilles injury. And it's Demario McCall. And that's not a lot of certainty there. And, you know, I might have ruled him out as as someone who can become either the, the second or third string running back this season. But... I will say, like, it's not like I'm projecting him to be that now based on a photo. Like, I'm not, I'm not insane, but like, he's clearly taken strides. He's taken the necessary steps to put himself in the position to win more carries uh, early in his career than than maybe I gave him credit for. And and I think he deserves a lot of props for that. And I'm interested, you know, to see what it's like when he's on the field. Um, does he still need time to grow, or is he someone who maybe? can make an earlier impact than basically everybody imagined. Yeah, if anything about yesterday made you change your depth chart projection for the Ohio State football team, then you would be reading into yesterday <laughs> yes. too seriously. But, you know, the, the important news here is, you know, vast majority of players were there. Um, you know, the, you know, there were some players who were not there. Uh, don't have any details on, on why not, but, you know, some of them aren't even back on campus yet. Some of them, if they had just arrived, uh, you know, they haven't enough time to, to quarantine yet and be cleared after taking a test. So, you know, they could be there in, in the next couple of days. They're all voluntary workouts. So guys aren't uh, fully required to go there and be back uh, in there for workouts, but certainly uh, the, looked like the vast majority of the team was there. You know, all of the freshmen who were not early enrollees were there. Trey Sermon was there. Uh, and guys, you know, guys looked excited to be there. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think these guys have really been itching to get back in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and, and get back to working out with their teammates again. And, and now they're able to do that. So uh, a, a big step in the right direction for the Buckeyes. Um, you know, the players have been tested. They're getting daily temperature and symptom checks. Uh, they're working out at designated time. So it's not the entire team in the facility at once. Uh, they're limiting groups to nine players, but they do have four different workout locations uh, within the facility, from the weight room uh, to the outdoor fields to the indoor field. So they're able to they're able to have up to 36 players working out at once. So um, you know the good news there is they're able to accommodate 
everyone who wants to work out in a given day. So, you know, that that's an important step because honestly, based on what we had heard from Gene Smith before, I was under the impression it was not going to be that way. I was under the impression that uh, they were only going to have nine guys in the building, period, and that uh, they might only be able to work out half the team in a given day. So uh, they, they do seem to have the right protocol in place that, uh, you know, they can get they can get everybody in and out over the course of a day. Uh, it's just not all at once. Um, and, and obviously, you know, there's a lot that needs to happen still over the next couple months so that they can get to the point where they can practice together as a full team. But uh, based on a report, Yesterday, uh, Sports Illustrated's Ross Dellinger was the first to report this, and, and several others corroborated that report as well. But uh, there's a proposal that's expected to be approved this week that would allow teams uh, to start required workouts on July 13, walk-through practices, which is basically uh, practices but with no contact, no pads, no helmets. Uh, that would be July 24, and then they could actually start fall camp on August 7. So if Assuming that goes through and assuming that Ohio State can get to the point where uh, it, it feels it, it's safe for players to be able to you know, continue to progress in that manner, uh, it, you know, it would seem like the ball is steadily rolling toward uh, you know, the, the preparation that Ohio State needs to ultimately start a season in September. It does. I, I think that that honestly is, is my overwhelming take of takeaway from where we are right now and obviously we're still months away from the season a lot can change between now and then but you can absolutely see the steps being taken to to at least get there and I think that that's exciting in and of itself I mean we've sat around here and speculated what it'll look like what what might happen what you know what we won't be able to have and at least as we sit here right now I think that I think that we're going to have a pretty good scenario in terms of um in terms of what we get out of this fall, like I'm sitting here right now, I I, I think um, I, I'm pretty confident that football is going to be played in one way or another. Um, I don't know if it's going to be the full season. I don't know how many fans are going to be allowed in, but I think that there will be football. And you know, to be able to say that is is you know, finally after after all the conversations we've had over the past few months, I think it's I think it's a good feeling. Yeah, I mean it's it. It's interesting because now you know we're at a point where if if these things go according to plan, you know the, the summer looks like it could be pretty normal. Yeah. They're, they're actually going to have more practice time than they typically would if this plan goes into place because of the time they lost in the spring. They're, they're adding this you know walkthrough period, which you know some have compared to OTAs in the NFL, but. You know, these would actually be additional practices that they typically wouldn't have before fall camp. So that's kind of a way to equate for what they lost. Obviously, it's still not quite the same as having that full spring, and it, it's in a more condensed time frame. But, you know, if all these things are allowed to happen as they're being proposed to happen right now, it, it's plenty of time for the team to be adequately prepared for September without, I think, any drastic lasting effects from not having a spring. Of course, I, I do think it's important to remember because I think it's starting to become easier to forget. I do think it's important to remember that we still don't know everything about COVID-19. It's still out there. It's still real. It's still probably unrealistic to think. Even if all these guys were cleared right now, it's probably unrealistic to think that we can go through 
the next seven months without any Ohio State football players coming into contact with COVID-19. So I, I still think it's important that we don't forget about that because it is still out there. It is still real. Uh, you know, we seem to have avoided any, you know, massive spikes uh, of COVID-19 in America, but it is still out there. So we, we can't we can't forget about it. We can't just pretend that things have gone back to normal. But it does seem like there's more and more confidence building by the week that, hey, we can get back to workouts. We've got a plan in place. We think this is going to be safe. And hopefully there will be no major setbacks that prevent this ramp up from continuing in the direction it appears to be going right now. So you're saying that we're pretty close to being able to preview the bowling, bowling green game? I mean... I don't know how much <laughs> I don't know how much I'm gonna have to say about the Bowling Green game, uh, to be completely honest. But it does it does seem like you know I I do think I think there's gonna be football played in September. I think I think it's hard to speak still on whether the schedule will remain fully intact because of the fact that that's not just what Ohio State does. That's what those other schools do too. So I I, I think it's still. You know, I think it's still too early to say whether Ohio State's schedule is going to look the way it was supposed to look this year. But you know, I, I think the momentum is there for Ohio State to play football games. To, might the schedule need to be tweaked? It might. But I, I think, you know, I think, you know, if all systems uh, stay on course, Ohio State's going to play football this fall. It's probably going to play uh, a full season or pretty close to it. Uh, and then you just have to hope for no major setbacks. Yeah, I think that there are still a lot of questions to be answered. I mean, the fan one is huge, and there, are, yeah. you know, I mean, there are intricate questions in there when when you think about, you know, how are these tickets going to be distributed? Is it going to be the same amount for every game? Or are they going to be distributed the same way every game? I think that there's a lot in that question. But you also think about, you know, is the Oregon game going to happen as scheduled this year? Um, that's obviously a tough one because, like you said, that's on the other side of the country um and and i i think i I think your point about there being different regulations in the states i think is is important when you're talking about that kind of travel um because ohio state like every other school is going to do everything it can to to protect its players and coaches um from the virus i think that there are um i think that i i honestly think there are a ton of questions unanswered when you talk about you know what happens if someone tests positive for coronavirus during the season? Um, I, I Ohio State hasn't necessarily answered that um, question yet, and that's going to be an important question uh, that they'll have to answer because you know if it's going to mean that you know one player if they test positive that player is going to have to sit out and everybody on the team is going to have to get a coronavirus test right away. Um, like what happens if that's Justin Fields? Like I, I, it's a weird question to ask because like getting sidelined for two weeks with the coronavirus in the middle of a season would be an extremely strange circumstance. But I think it's something that, that we don't have an answer to yet. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of these questions hanging over. But like you said, and, and I think the thing that we can fall back on is it does feel like we'll probably get football, which is obviously a positive for, for all involved. Yeah, and I think there's a difference between a Full football season and a normal football season. I I think I think we could have a full full football season. I think mm-hmm. that's the goal that Ohio State is working toward right now, and I think there's a pretty good amount of confidence that that's going to be able to happen. I don't think there's going to be a 
normal football season in terms of things are going to look different this year. It's, it's not good. We're not going to get to a point in three months where the stands are full and everything looks exactly the same as it's always looked. There's, there's going to be different variables. I mean, I, I know we've even been talking about it just in terms of us as media members. You know, typically, you know, we'll, we'll be down on the field before the game and taking videos of guys warming up and stuff. Chances are we're not going to be able to do that this year. Uh, I hope that we'll be able to be at the games, but chances are we're, we're not going to be able to just freely roam around the field before games this year. Most likely, there's going to be a lot of different restrictions in place. You know, you're probably not going to see hundreds of recruits and families and, and VIPs on the sidelines this year. That's, that's probably not going to happen. It's probably going to be uh, players, coaches, uh, staff, essential personnel only on the field during games. So there's going to be a lot of different things, a lot of small things that I think are going to look different. And we're going to keep talking about this. It's going to be one of those things that uh, we're going to be dealing with all year, I believe. But the good news is we, I think we feel like, okay, there's going to be football. We, we can, we can talk about the football season. Like there is going to be a football season rather than talking about, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about a football season. It, It was harder a couple months ago when I think we really didn't know if there was going to be a season. And you're trying to stay optimistic, but it's hard to talk about, okay, what's going to happen this fall if you just don't know if it's going to happen. But now there's enough optimism where I feel confident and comfortable saying, okay, there's going to be a season this fall. It might look a little bit different than normal, but I do believe it's going to happen. So you want to talk some real football? Well, I'm assuming based on... You saying the words real football, that means you want to talk about the offensive line. Listen, Dan, of course I want to talk about the offensive line. I want to talk about them every week, and especially this year, because as I think I've said over and over again, I think this offensive line this year is going to be special. I think last year's was special too, and I think that maybe it got overlooked. I think last year's team, just in general, when when we're going to step back and look at it in a decade – we're going to be astounded by by all the talent that, that was on that team. But I think this year's team, even though um, this year's offensive line, even though Ohio State lost Jonah Jackson and Brandon Bowen to graduation, there's a ton to like about this. And, you know, I think we should we should dig in because earlier this week I wrote about the, the state of the position, um, state of the offensive line. And, you know, it's worthy uh, having a conversation about it because I think that there's there's a lot that goes into into it this this season. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a really talented group. I think from top to bottom, from the guys who are projected starters to just the depth of a group. I think the offensive line going into this season, you know, looks as strong as you could possibly hope for going into the season. And of course, that all starts with the three returning starters, Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers and and Thayer Mumford, who. I'd be lying if I said I looked at every offensive line around the country, but I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find a better trio of returning offensive linemen than the guys that the Buckeyes have. Yeah, and to me it really starts with, with Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers. I think Thayer Munford has some other questions that we can talk about just based on his injuries, but you know Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers, when those are your returning starters as interior linemen, like that is... I, I like you said. I, I can't guarantee that this is the case, but I can't imagine that um, that there's other that there's more than one or two other schools out in the country that has um, a duo like that returning in the interior. I, I think that you know when I watched Wyatt Davis last year, I thought he was really good to begin the year, and then I thought he turned into potentially the best guard 
in the country in the second half of the year. I think that he had a really uh, he had a really uh, impressive upward trajectory as the season went on. And I think Josh Myers, he was someone who just stepped in and just immediately to me, he just looked so confident. He looked so calm. He looked like he knew what he was doing. And he's someone who, you know, during his second year on campus, you know, he finally was able to, to sort of put it together mentally. And I think that, you know, it was a little bit difficult coming from an offense in high school that was so run heavy to, to learning how to pass block first um, during his first season. And then during his second season, learning how to sort of run the offense as a center. And, and I think by the time that the third season came around in 2019, he was just ready to go. And I think that, you know, I don't think it's going to be out of the con. I, I don't think it's going to be absurd to have him and and the Remington Trophy conversation this this fall. I think that he's that good. He's that talented. I think he's already a, a really impressive run blocker. He's someone who I love to watch get to the second level of the defense, just because he he knows how to how to leverage himself um, when he gets on linebackers and defensive backs and. Um, Provided he continues to improve as a as a pass blocker and in that role at center, I think that Ohio State has a ton to build around with with him and Wyatt Davis. Yeah, I think I've been banging this drum for a while, and and I know uh, Kevin Wilson in particular has been, but I think Josh Myers is a little bit underrated. I, I think I think Josh Myers doesn't get as much attention as as he deserves because I think Wyatt Davis is fantastic. I think he's probably the best guard in the country, and I think he deserves. Uh, all the all-American recognition that he's gotten, but you don't see people nationally talking about Josh Myers the way they talk about Wyatt Davis, and I, and I think that's an oversight. I think I think Josh Myers was excellent last year, and, and I absolutely think that he belongs right at the forefront of the Remington Trophy conversation this year because I I think he's that good. I think he's a guy, you know, like you talked about. I mean, he needed a couple years to to get ready. But he just stepped in without any flaws last year. And, and, you know, and I think about a year before where they had a guy like Michael Jordan who had been a really good guard for him. And then, they, and then he moved to center, and it just didn't look that natural. It just, it, it, he, just, he just never quite, you know, got into that center role as well as you might have expected that he would. And, you know, Ohio State, they've been really big on, you know, starting guys at center who had had experience playing at guard. And Josh... You're, you're bringing in a guy who had never started a game before last year, but he, he was just excellent all year. I mean, he was just rock solid at that center position last year. And, and I think that's such an important position and one that maybe doesn't always get a, as much recognition as it deserves. But you know, you're kind of the anchor of that entire line when you're playing that center spot. And, and I thought you know, Josh Myers just did such an excellent job at that spot that it just kind of emanated throughout the entire line to allow them to be one of the best in the country last year so when you have that duo coming back in the middle you know there's no doubt it all starts with those two and you know i think you pair them now with a guy like harry miller who i I think is probably going to be the left guard and who i also think has the potential to be a absolute star on ohio state's offensive line you you absolutely yeah, I, th- I think you could already say last year that Ohio State's interior offensive line was the best in the country, and I think it could absolutely be the case again this year. Yeah, I do too. I mean, this is going to be the podcast of us saying how good the offensive line is, but it it is really true. I mean, you're talking about Wyatt Davis, who, when he was a recruit, he was the top offensive guard recruit in the country. Now he's the top offensive guard in the country, and, and Josh Myers was a high-end four-star prospect who's developed exactly the way Ohio State hoped. And Harry Miller, I think, I think – Maybe 
one of the re- one of the ways you can talk about the the testament to to Josh Myers' development is that he's going to stay at center. It seems like this season instead of moving over to to guard to facilitate Harry Miller's transition uh, into being a starter because Harry's someone who last year was the backup center. Um, but I mean. From the moment he stepped on campus, honestly, from before the moment he stepped on campus, but I, I still remember talking to Josh Myers and, and Greg Sidrawa and hearing from Ryan Day before the season about the development of Harry Miller, and he's someone who, like, immediately they're like, okay, this guy's special. And I think that on another, uh, if the situation was different, if it was maybe like the right tackle situation that we'll get to a little bit later in this podcast, I think that maybe Harry Miller could have had a chance to start immediately. But the fact was, he was it, it was going to be Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, and Jonah Jackson as the three starters. No one was really going to unseat them, and, and obviously for good reason. They had great seasons, um, and he didn't enroll even until the summer, which, by the way, he didn't do that partially because he wanted to become the valedictorian of his high school which is nuts but it's also true um and and now that he's actually a starter um and or at least that we expect him to be a starter he's someone who i think is going to have an he's going to have a seamless transition the same way that josh myers did last year and and i and i don't say that lightly like i think that some people look at ohio state's five former five-star recruits and say all right well clearly this guy's going to be a star he's going to move in and not have any issues and i think a lot of the times that's not totally accurate but i'm going to be honest like I think Harry Miller is going to be great, and I think he's going to be really good right away. He just strikes me as that kind of guy when he you've you've heard his teammates and coaches talk about him like that, and everything about his background from you know him being a, an incredibly smart guy to him you know being an incredible physical specimen really speaks to me as to, to be as him being someone who's going to come in and, and be um, a, a great guard immediately. Yeah, you just don't hear coaches talk about a true freshman offensive lineman very often the way they talk about Harry Miller last yeah. year. I mean, you think back to Nicholas Petit Frere, uh, a class before. I mean, he was a guy, he was a top 10 overall recruit in his class. But he was a guy when he came in, you know, they talked about he needs to get bigger, he needs to develop. They, you know, you know, they, they weren't talking about Nicholas Petit Frere pushing for a starting job as a freshman. They, they just weren't. And I mean, now, you know, he's going into his third year and now might be his time to potentially earn that starting job at right tackle. But the, he was a guy that they talked about, you know, he needed to develop. You know, he, he, he wasn't a guy who was really in that position to compete for major playing time at, as a freshman. But Harry Miller, I mean, you're right. I mean, I, I think we didn't, oh, one of the reasons why Ohio State's offensive line was so great last year is because other than, than Fair Munford being nicked up here and there, uh, that offensive line really stayed remarkably healthy, uh, especially on the interior where I think Wyatt Davis missed free snaps and Jonah and Josh Myers never missed a single snap. But I think if any one of those guys had gone down, I, I think there's a chance we would have seen Harry Miller step right in there as a true freshman and play because I think that's how highly Ohio State thinks of Harry Miller. So you know that's why we're penciling him in as that starter at left guard. I think Matthew Jones is in that conversation. Uh, no Kimamai, he's another guy that you know I think they really like as, as a young guard coming up. But I'll personally be really surprised if Harry Miller is not in the lineup this year because I think they just think so highly of him. And again, I mean, you're talking we're talking about a guy like Harry Miller. I mean, he did not redshirt. You know, he's he's you know he's a three or four year guy at Ohio State. So a guy a guy like that who you look at as you know probably a future early round NFL draft pick. You know, you want to get a guy like that on the field. And so I I think I think Harry Miller's 
uh, in really good shape to step in on that offensive line and I don't really see him missing a beat. I think, I mean, that being said, I I think Jonah Jackson was fantastic last year. So I I think he does leave big shoes to to fill. But I just have a lot of confidence just based on everybody we've talked to in the program that that Harry Miller is just a guy that they feel really, really good about stepping in there and and not having a drop-off. Yeah, I mean, my favorite Harry Miller story is that his mom told me that when he was younger... He used to just homeschool himself, and he would log in there. He would log in online, and, you know, it would say, here's the assignments for today, and, you know, he would do them and then log out. And his mom would never have to tell him, hey, make sure you do your stuff. Like, this guy schooled himself and then became a valedictorian. Like, he's he's on another level mentally from most of us, because I can guarantee that's not what happened with me if I were to have ever gone through a homeschooling. But I think it's also worth noting the, the interior depth. Um, you have guys, like you said, and Matthew Jones and Gavin Cup, who I think those guys are solid. And I think that when you have a, a fifth-year guy like Gavin Cup combined with someone like Matthew Jones, who's in his third season, who's a former top 100 recruit, who was once the top center recruit in the country, and those are your backups to these three, like that is that is really impressive. And, and honestly, I... Like, I think as a when you're talking about the the three starters and then the backups, like this is about as good as you can really get. Yeah, I mean absolutely because you know I think back to a couple of years ago where I think interior or, or just offensive line depth in general mm-hmm. I think was a major concern and you know I remember Urban Meyer would talk about it a lot just about you know issues with the offensive line depth and not being where they wanted to be and. Now I think they are where they want to be. I think they feel really good about, uh, you know, that, that too deep on the offensive line. I think they're going to have, you know, 10 guys that I think they feel good about. But if, if they need to play, you know, you know, obviously you want to keep your starters healthy. But I think they're going to have a, a really good, solid core of guys that they're going to feel like if we need this guy to step into play, you know, we feel like he can do it. And, I mean, you look at the depth. I mean, I just look at a guy like a Max Ray who's going into his third year at Ohio State, and he's probably not going to have a spot on the two deep. And and he's a guy who was a, a top 150 recruit in his class, and I think that just speaks to the depth that Ohio State's accumulating on that offensive line right now is, is that, you know, you know there's, there's going to be guys that, you know, are, are scholarship players, you know, recruited players, guys that they, you know, don't necessarily think poorly of, but they're just – blocked on the depth chart by the amount of talent that Ohio State's been able to accumulate. Yeah, if we're going to kick out to, to talk about the the offensive tackles right now, I think that we do have to start with, with Thayer Munford because um, he's an interesting case to me because when he's healthy, like I, I think he's one of the best in the Big Ten. Like I think he, I think he's one of I think he is, I think you can make a case in any given year he's one of the one or two best in the Big Ten at, at left tackle, yet He's had injury concerns for each of the past two years since he's been a starter. And, you know, when he's played banged up, to me, there's a noticeable drop in play. And I think that, if anything, this season it's super important for Ohio State to, to finally keep him healthy because, in all honesty, they just they haven't been able to do that for an entire season each in both 2018 and 2019. 
Yeah, and I think that's important for him because he's a senior going into his final year at Ohio State. And, you know, certainly a guy from a talent standpoint has NFL ability. But I think right now, you know, let's say that he had decided to leave after last season and go to the NFL. I think his draft stock would have been hurt by the fact that there are some durability concerns there. That he he has been nicked up a lot and he hasn't always been healthy enough to play at his best so I think this is important for him just to show that you know he can he can do that that he can stay healthy all year and and that he can you know really be rock solid at a left tackle because I think I think he from a talent perspective I think we've seen it when he's at his best you know he he can be one of the best tackles in the country when he's healthy but we did see at times last year that he struggled and I think that was because you know he he had a back injury he had an ankle injury he, he's had a lot of injuries here that have added up and and so I do think that's a, a concern you the, the good news is you do like the depth that you have if you're Ohio State the good news is uh, I think they're in a better spot than maybe they would have been in past years where if a guy misses time, I think they're going to have guys pushing where you know a, a guy can step in and, and they'll probably be okay. But certainly Fayer Munford is a, is a guy you know right there alongside Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers who's really important to the success of your offensive line this year. Yeah, it's, um, and, and you, can, you can see that depth when you talk about the right tackle competition that'll be ongoing. And, and the preseason camp and, and that, you know, we saw for three practices worth in, in the spring. Um, and that's Nicholas Petit, Frere, Paris Johnson, and Dewan Jones. And I think that, you know, common sense is that Nicholas, it, it's time for Nicholas Petit Frere to win that job. I mean, he's someone who, when he came into Ohio State, he was a top 15 overall recruit in the nation, the top offensive lineman in his class. Um, he, he had a lot of notoriety about, you know, coming in here as a heralded recruit and he redshirted in his first year on campus um the second year he had a chance to win the starting job and he couldn't beat out brandon bowen and right now the guys are he's competing against are dewan jones who's in his second year um who yes is a physical marvel and that he's six eight three hundred sixty pounds but he's also i mean he's he's fairly raw which you could see in his recruiting ranking which put him outside of the top 1000 and then Paris Johnson who's a freshman who's essentially um, coming in the same he's essentially coming into Ohio State in the same position that uh, Nicholas Petit Frere was and that he's the top offensive lineman in his class and i think that um, they're different in that the reason Nicholas Petit Frere wasn't able to play immediately is because he had to put on pounds. I mean, he came in, he was 268 pounds the moment he stepped on campus, and now he's over 300, and you you just can't play someone as a, at offensive line who's that light um, right away. But now, the, now that he is uh, the physical size that Ohio State wants him to be, I think it's go time for him, and, and I think that he has the natural ability to be really good. I think that we've yet to see what it'll be like when he's in uh, a position, um, in the starting position. I think that you know if, if people have their concerns about him and the fact that he didn't win a job uh, last year, I think they're I think they're largely unfair. I mean, Brandon Bowen's a, a he was a former starter who was in his fifth season. I think I think Brandon Bowen had a really good year last year, and the reason he wasn't drafted wasn't because of his lack of skill. It was more so his injury history. Um, but I think it's I think if Nicholas Petit-Frere is the guy that uh, we all thought he was when, when he became a, a five-star prospect, I think that I think this is his job to lose. Yeah, I don't, I don't really put 
any stock in him not winning the job last year? Because like you said, I mean, I I think I leave Brandon Bowen. I think Brandon Bowen played really well last year, and I think he showed that he deserved that job. So I don't really put any stock into that. You know, and, and I think, you know, you, you can look and say, well, you know, the game at Northwestern, he started in place of Thayer Munford. He didn't play that well, and then they, they brought in, you know, Thayer, who was battling an injury. They actually brought him into the game to stabilize the line for a while because Petit Frere wasn't playing great. But it's also tough when you're thrust into that situation where you haven't started all year. Now you're thrust in. He's playing left tackle He's after he's primarily been playing right tackle. I, I, I don't think you want to read too much into how he played in just one game. So I I, I agree. I mean, I, I think it is Petit Frere's job to lose. I think it should be Petit Frere's job to lose. And I, and I think... I mean, he. I mean, this is a guy. I mean, again, we, we should not forget how highly recruited he was. I mean, he's got excellent length, excellent athleticism for a tackle. Uh, a really smart guy. You know, another guy who came to Ohio State with a lot of you know academic accolades out of high school. So I, I think he's a guy that if he, he he puts it all together this year, I mean, he's got as much potential as anyone to be a fantastic offensive tackle at Ohio State. With that being said. We talked about Harry Miller before and, and the way they talked about him as a true freshman. The way they talk about Paris Johnson as a true freshman is, is very similar. And there is undoubtedly a ton of optimism about him and his program. And I, more, it had more than anything to do with Petit Frere, the reason I am uncertain about that right tackle battle is just because... They seem to think so highly of Paris Johnson that I think there's a chance they decide he is too good to keep off the field. Yep. Yeah, I think um, generally, like when Michael Jordan won the starting job, um, if a freshman wins a starting job on the offensive line, that's a little bit concerning. But if Paris Johnson can beat out Dewan Jones and Nicholas Petit Frere, I certainly wouldn't be concerned. I would be excited to see what he can do because, I mean, he's he's an incredibly confident guy who's incredibly gifted, and he is physically ready. It's not a situation like Nick Petit Frere where, where he has to come in and gain weight. Yes, he has to. He might have to 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 um, improve himself physically in some certain areas, but they're much more minimal than than most freshmen. I mean, he's he, to me, is a future starting left tackle at Ohio State for multiple seasons. And I think, you know, when I did my depth chart, I think when Thayer Munford leaves next year, regardless of whether um, Paris Johnson starts at right tackle or not this season, I think that Paris Johnson will step in and be the starting left tackle in 2021 and 2022, then enter the 2023 NFL draft. Like, I think he's, he's that kind of talent. Um, and I know that I know you know that's my Paris Johnson take because it's been that way for for many months. But I think he's special and um, and one uh, also I'll, I'll note like if Nick Petit Frere can hold him off, like I think that has to give you some degree of of um, confidence in him. I think that I think that this is a really this is this is a good position battle. I think this is where mainly um, my my questions and concerns are uh, at right tackle when I compare them to the rest of the the four offensive line spots. But I think when you have these three guys fighting for for a job, I think that um, I think I think the best man will win. I think that whoever that is will have beat um, two other uh, really um, impressive impressive offensive tackles. Yep, I agree with you on all of that. And I think it's important to mention Dewan Jones, too, because 
Ohio State, they burned his red shirt last year for a reason. Ohio State would not have done that if it didn't think DeWine Jones was a guy who had a chance to play early in his Ohio State career. So, you know, he's a guy that I, I do not rule out in this competition. I think it's going to be hard just because he's going up against two five-star recruits. But, you know, I think DeWan Jones is also a future starter at Ohio State. And I think he's a guy that they think really highly of. I mean, again, we talked about it. He's absolutely massive and he, he moves incredibly well for a guy of his size. So, you know, I, I think he's a guy who's right there in that mix too. And again, I, I think that's why you feel so confident because we no, we haven't seen, you know, any of these guys really play significant snaps yet, but you know, they're all going to push each other. And here's the reality. You can win that job going into the season, but if you get out there in September and you're not playing well, you might lose your job because all these guys are going to be hungry to get on the field. And and to me, I, you know, I, I I think that's the you know the other balance you're going to have to strike is obviously you hope that guy who wins that right tackle job goes out there and excels and, and and just locks down the job. But how short is the leash going to be? If one of those guys goes in there and struggles, how short is Valish going to be when you've got those other two guys right on his heels? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I I think that the job will ultimately come down to Nicholas Petit Frere and um, Paris Johnson, mainly because I think that Dewan Jones, it, honestly, it, they're treating him, at least they treated him to start uh, spring camp a little bit in the same way they treated Josh Alibi last year, um, who... You know, was a fifth-year senior, and we thought that he was going to be competing for the right tackle job, and he sort of was, but really he was the backup left tackle. Um, and when spring camp started, that's where Dewan Jones was. He was essentially just playing backup left tackle at the Thayer Munford, and so I think that he'll be in the mix a little bit, but I ultimately think it'll come down to Petit Frere and, and Paris Johnson. But like you said, if Dewan Jones is the best, I, uh, best out of the the three of them, I don't think that they're going to keep him off the field. Them burning his red shirt was always fascinating to me because it didn't make a ton of sense, and I still don't think it made a ton of sense if I'm being totally honest. Um, but um, I think that that is as big of a hint as anything of what they think he can he can be at Ohio State. My plea to the coaching staff is if he's not a starter. We, we, we got to see a jumbo package of DeWan Jones this year. I, I just so – there's nothing I want more from this Ohio State football team in 2020 than to see a, a jumbo package that has DeWan Jones lining up at tight end or fullback. I mean, that would be thrilling. I don't even care how he's on the field. Put him as a sixth offensive lineman. But if DeWan Jones – I mean, DeWan Jones is the kind of guy who if they're on the goal line and you see DeWan Jones running onto the field – that crowd is gonna of twenty thousand people <laughs> is gonna stand on its feet. Big Thanos is uh, definitely a fan favorite, and I don't think that's going to change anytime. Now, soon. Also, definitely a personal favorite. If I'm being honest, everything about him makes me makes me makes me laugh. And because honestly, like he's the kind of guy who just enjoys life. I mean, when Mick Marotti was talking about him back in I think February. He was basically saying that whenever he would yell at him, trying to get him to go, Dewan would just look at him and smile. And, like, that's just the kind of guy who he is. And, and these people gravitate him as a freshman. I think he has that kind of pull, which is which is rare, um, and, and someone that young. And, you know, he's just – I think he's just fun for everyone to be around. So, you know, this is our good guy Dewan Jones segment because, you know, I think that – I think you agree with what I'm saying too. It's just – it's fun to watch him interact with everybody, to be honest. 
Absolutely. Definitely a uh, fun guy. And I know we noticed that last year, just even uh, in terms of just the way you'd see the videos and just the way that he was interacting uh, with some of the upperclassmen. You'd be in a true freshman, you know, being a guy you could see, you know, he right away even was ingratiating himself with the upperclassmen, the veterans on the team. So that's always a good sign, you know, to see to see that. Uh, see a guy who really seems to be beloved by his teammates and that along with his physical skills I think are going to go a long way for him in his Ohio State career. In terms of you know the depth chart this year I, I think we're both pretty much on the same page here. I think you know we, we both see you know Harry Miller and Nicholas Petitfrere most likely being the starters at those spots. Uh, I think Dewan Jones, Paris Johnson uh, are, are probably the backup left backup left and right tackle and whichever way you want to do that. Uh, I think Matthew Jones is certainly going to be on that two deep. I would guess probably at left guard behind Harry Miller. Uh, you know, he could play center as well. I, I think realistically, the way I see it is, you know, I, I'm going to guess that Luke Whipler will be the second center on the depth chart, but realistically, I see it as if something were to happen to Josh Myers, you'd kick Harry Miller over to center, and then Matthew Jones could step in at that left guard spot. And then I think that right guard spot, uh, you know, that, that probably goes to Gavin Cup. Uh, but you've got, you know, Noke Vimahi, uh, Ryan Jacoby, a couple other guys that are pushing uh, there as well. So you've got a, a lot of depth there. You know, we mentioned Max Ray as well. I think he's probably your fifth tackle, but that's a third-year guy. So uh, just a lot of a lot of depth options there, and then you know some younger freshmen as well. Uh, you know Trey Larue, Grant Tutant, Jacob James, Josh Fryer. I'd be surprised if any of them were on the two deep this year. But great to have you know all those guys there developing uh, for the future depth of your offensive line. And you know we we've gushed about this offensive line so much. Are there? Is there maybe a short-term concern or question you have and a long-term concern and question that you have um, at this position group? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to really come up with a short-term concern right now because I just think that, you know, all in all, they're in, they're in really good shape there. I mean, obviously, I mean, again, I mean, there's always going to be uncertainty with new starters, but I just think there's so much up-and-coming talent in that group, but there just isn't one spot that I look at where I say, "Man, if this goes wrong, like I'm really worried about this group." Is is there anything for you? I think I look at I think I look at Thayer's health um, because you know I think I, to be honest, the reason why I think that Dewan Jones is going to get so much work at left tackle is because I think they're going to look at Dewan as the guy who comes in if Thayer needs a break, if Thayer can't play for a game, and I and I think that. I think, I think while I while I am impressed with what I've seen from Dewan Jones, if they don't have Thayer Munford at a key moment, I think that'll be a that'll be a minus for Ohio State. I think that that would that would be a hit for them, and and mm-hmm. I think that that's maybe the one thing that is a reasonable concern and, and almost an expectation, just because we've yet to see Thayer get through a season um, fully healthy, and and I know that he's working to 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 make this the one, but. You know, until until we can actually see it through, um, that'll that'll probably be the one thing that I'll just have my eyes open and and, and watching. I think long term, you just look at the fact that there's a good chance you're gonna lose Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, and Fair Munford after this season because Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers both have two remaining seasons of eligibility, but 
they're also both guys who have the potential to be early round NFL draft picks. And I wouldn't have been shocked if either one of them had chosen to leave after last season because they were already uh, NFL draftable players. But you know, I, I think if both of them have the type of seasons this year that they're capable of, I think both of them will have very real reason to consider going to the NFL. So I think, you know, obviously, you know, that's something they could make next year. Uh, you could have many more questions next year on the offensive line. With that being said, because of all this talent we're talking about, I mean, we're talking about a guy like Matthew Jones, who is was the number one ranked center in his class, and now he's playing guard and he's going into his third year, and there still might not be a spot for him in the lineup, even if he's ready to play. I mean, we're talking about guys like, you know, Paris Johnson, who we expect to be able to play early. So I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. Uh, they've already got uh, two very talented offensive linemen uh, committed for next year in Donovan Jackson and Ben Chrisman. So I, I think the pipeline they're building right now, I, I think Greg Stadrawa is doing a phenomenal job, both in terms of development and recruiting right now. And I think he's come a long way because I think a couple years ago, there were some very real questions about him, especially on the recruiting trail. And, and I think that he is really proven himself in that regard in the past couple yeah of years. i actually think it's easier to find a short-term concern than a long-term concern like if i'm thinking about long term it would be replacing wyatt davis and josh myers next year just because you know one of those guys whether it be famahi or ryan jacoby um luke whippler like they probably won't have got they, they probably won't have gotten a, a ton of experience in 2020 so i think that maybe that would be it but if you if you're projecting out what this offensive line looks like seasons from now, so let's just do this one by one. So in 2021, they're probably going to have uh, Nick Petit Frere and, and Harry Miller back as starters, and then you'd have P- Matthew Jones who will be in his fourth season, um, and Enoch Vamahi or Ryan Jacoby um, there with them, and then Paris Johnson at left tackle, and then the season after that. I think you could bring four of those five starters back, and then maybe someone like Dewan Jones comes in as, as the starting right tackle, and he's a guy who at that point would be in his senior season. And and I think that when you look at just year by year um, what to expect from Ohio State, like there is a class of players, um, and I look at when I say this, I'm going to talk about like a Ryan Jacoby, a Trey LaRue, a Grant Teuton, a Jacob James, a Josh Fryer, even maybe a Luke Whippler, depending on how things play out who might not even get a chance to really fight for a starting job or and, 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 and be projected as the winner until their fourth or fifth seasons. And I think that that's such a luxury for Ohio State right now because they've got some guys in the pipeline who I think are more so developmental players, um, and I'm sure one or two of them might break out sooner than you, than you, than you sort of imagine. But Ohio State has a ton, a ton of depth right now, um, both um, – currently on the 2020 roster and then when you when you think about the long-term depth of, of what Ohio State will continue to have and, and to be honest like this is the kind of um, this is the kind of position group that I think uh, going forward is, is going to consistently put out pros and going to consistently be, be viewed as one of the best in the country and like you said not too long ago we weren't really saying that and we were we, I think there was a little bit more concern about you know what Ohio State was doing in recruiting on the offensive line and whatnot right now I think you can make an argument this is the healthiest position group on the team yeah I think maybe if there's one long-term concern it's just looking at 
what appears to be happening right now with a J.C. Latham, who a five-star tackle for class of 2021, who it looked like Ohio State was the front runner for, and here in the last few days before we've recorded, it seems like his recruitment is trending toward Alabama, and kind of a, the buzz there is that he's concerned about playing time at Ohio State because of what we just talked about, because of all the depth they've built up, that you know he could come into Ohio State and he might not get that chance to to really compete for a job, you know, until later in his career and as a five star guy, you know, he can go just about anywhere else and he can have that chance early in his career. So I think maybe if there's one long term concern, it's just that as you start getting into some of these future classes now do you maybe lose out on some guys you could otherwise get because they're worried about just how deep the room is they're they're worried about where they'd get a chance to play but i think you know so far they're doing an excellent job building for the future between you know donovan jackson ben crispin tegra shabola who's a top tackle for 2022 so you know i think they're building up a good base there they just have to make sure they continue doing that so that you can continue to maintain this kind of depth that you've built. Yeah, and I'll be honest, like to me that's not even really much of a concern or question just because when I think when I when I look at what they already have in twenty twenty one and the base uh, base of that class and then having Shibola in twenty twenty two, like you're talking about the top guard in the country in twenty one and Donovan Jackson plus Ben Chrisman, who's the top offensive lineman um, in Ohio in that class, and then Shibola is the top offensive lineman in Ohio in the next class. And I think that as long as you keep building the way that they're building like Ohio State's offensive line for many years I think is set up to to be really really good and and obviously as we all know like that's an incredibly important part of a program that maybe doesn't get talked about as much as a quarterback running back or wide receiver but um personally Dan I'm glad that we're giving it so much time yeah I was I was trying to nitpick and find something because it's hard um, it it really is yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, I, I, I really don't think, you know, if, if J.C. Latham ultimately commits to Alabama, I really don't think that's a major concern because of the amount of talent that they've built up. And obviously there's going to be, you know, you know, people who are disappointed if you don't get a, a five-star tackle. But, you know, the, the truth is, I mean, if, if, I think if you are an elite offensive lineman, you have to look at that right now and you know we've seen some of the guys who we've talked about as more developmental guys you know a lot of those guys are ohio guys a lot of those guys are local guys who have always dreamed of playing for ohio state and and i think you know that mix is gonna have to continue where i think if you're getting these elite guys you're also going to have to get some guys that are maybe lower ranked guys to kind of fill out your depth who just really want to play for ohio state because if you're a jc latham who can go anywhere in the country you should be looking at, okay, which elite team can I go to that is going to give me the best best route to be able to get on the field early, to be able to maximize my opportunities there and set myself up for an NFL career. And so I, I, I don't blame him or any other recruit who, who might look that way. You know, you look at a guy like Tegra Shavola, he's from Ohio. So for him, you know, it makes more sense to just commit right to Ohio State and just go for it but i think if you don't necessarily have those ties you might look at ohio state and say well you know i'd love to play there i'd love to be a starter there but you know maybe i don't get that opportunity maybe i have a better opportunity if i go somewhere else so i think that's something that guys are going to have to consider but the good news is if you're ohio state is you've already built you know such a strong core right now that the future looks really really bright uh, for years to come up front. Yeah, they're going to be just fine for their, at least the next half decade. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> which is just sort of incredible given, like you said, the, the concern that once um, was around this position. Well, now we want to move into another segment of our show, and we want to bring in C. Grant from the 2002 National Championship Ohio State team, who, you know, for those of you who have seen that game, you know, probably remember, you know, he was responsible for uh, the final play of the game, rushing Ken Dorsey, and ultimately sealing the victory for Ohio State in that iconic game. So we're going to bring him on to talk about uh, that game and, and some other topics as well. And uh, we hope you enjoy the interview. C, thank you so much for taking a few minutes of your time to talk to us today. Hey, not a problem. I appreciate you both having me on today. So I'm looking forward to talking to you. A couple of weeks ago, you were one of several Buckeyes who participated in ESPN's rebroadcast of that 2002 game. Just what was it like to relive that game with some of your former teammates? Man, I tell you, um, it, it it was a great time. Uh, I went through a range of emotions. Uh, first of all, it was good to reunite up uh, with some of my former teammates, uh, and then, you know, and then also, you know, with so much time that's gone past. Uh, it, it was great to re, you know, you know, to have another opportunity to watch the game, and uh, you know, it, just you know, reliving that, that whole moment. I mean, we're all at different points in our life now. I mean, I have a wife and kids. And so just getting a chance to sit back and watch it as a Ohio State fan uh, was definitely great. Um, again, it takes us back in a, you know, a different point in time in uh, Ohio State football. And uh, I think it was a crucial point um, in Ohio State uh, football. And, um, you know, with Coach Trestle coming in, bringing in the staff that he did, and, uh, you know, making a, a quick impact at the Ohio State, I, I think it, it served us all well. And, uh, and so, again, you know, to answer your question, it was great, you know, reliving it and, uh, and you, know, you know, going through all those uh, emotions again. How close are you still with the guys that you played with at Ohio State? Uh, I'm, I'm close with a couple of guys. Uh, man, I, I'm really like an introvert. Uh, you know, once I retired from the NFL, um, you know, I started right away. Uh, you know, I met my wife, and uh, and we started our family. And uh, you know, that's that's our foundation. You know, our big deal is uh, you know we want to start a legacy family. And uh, and so we, you know, early on in our twenties, uh, that's what we did. You know, we, um, you know, we we went from New Orleans, and uh, you know, we went to the Carolina areas there for a while, and then uh, you know, eventually made our way to. Uh, Western Pennsylvania, and that's where we've been the past 13 years, man. Um, I've been uh, been with my wife going on 18 years. Uh, been married uh, 15, and uh, we've had six wonderful children. Um, um, you know, one unfortunately uh, passed uh, our oldest, uh, but you know we still have five here that are alive and well and uh, and mean the world to us. So. Um, you know, I think that's, you know, the big thing that I've been doing is uh, really focusing on my wife and kids. So, um, you know, it, it's been good over the years. Um, you know, we had our 10-year reunion of the 2002 team, had a chance to see guys, uh, 
you know, that, you know, there. And then, he, of course, you know, I talked to guys here and there, but it was just great to, you know, I felt like that 2002, uh, you know, rewatching the game a couple of weeks ago, it, it, it really started a conversation. Guys started reaching out. Uh, I'm reaching out more and, uh, and I know guys have reached out to me. So it's just really been a good, um, a good experience. You know, it's it's funny. Like when you think back at it, it's it like we're nearing up on on two decades removed from from that season and, and that national championship game. How how many times since then have you actually gone back and rewatched the national championship? Actually, uh, that was my first time. Um, wow. Again, you know, life life moves fast, and you you have to understand with that being. You know, my last collegiate game, you know, it was, it was heal your body up because, you know, in that game, you know, I had a broken ribs and, and also, you know, broken hand um, throughout that game. It was a very hard physical game. So um, you would think that you would have time to sort of just sort of lay it in, in galore and take it all in. But, you know, it's business and, and anyone coming out of uh, the Ohio State, uh, you know, whether it's you know, leaving early or, you know, being a, you know, a, a true senior or a redshirt senior. Um, I mean, you're looking to, you know, further your career at the next level. So my thinking at the time was, you know, heal up and uh, and get ready for the combine and then, you know, eventually get ready for the draft and keep moving. So, you know, since then, you know, life happens fast. And uh, and so to actually have a chance to sit down and, and, and you know, get myself all back into that uh, state of mind. I really didn't have that opportunity, and I'm sort of glad I didn't because, again, you know, you're talking about almost two decades. Um, a lot has changed in all of our lives. Um, you know, I think of, you know, I, I told you I was going through a range of emotions. Like the very first one was like tears. Um, you know, I, my, my mother has been, you know, passed away for a, a, over a decade now. And then, of course, you know, Will Smith. And uh, and not only were was he and our teammates at Ohio State, but also in New Orleans. So, you know, when you sit down and, and, and you think about everything, um, man, I mean, what a time to be a Buckeye and just, um, you know, I mean, just, just, just what a, what an opportunity to watch it again, because again, it forced us to slow down with the quarantine, with everything that's going on with COVID-19 and with, with everything going on in our world. So, uh, it was, you know, if that, for, for that being my first time taking it in, man, it was, it was a hell of an experience. So I'm, I'm appreciative. Was, was there, um, a play or, or, you know, a moment on the sidelines, a moment in the locker room that maybe you were reminded of that you had gone 17 years without really remembering um, that, that maybe it, it sparked in your mind. Um, man, I, I, I just think that, um, you know, that opening drive, uh, you know, I can always, mm-hmm. you know, think back to what our coaches you know, under the tutelage of uh, Coach Mark D'Antonio, you know, um, it was always about setting a tone and it was always about playing for one another and uh, and playing for the guy next to you and playing for the great state of Ohio and um, and making sure that we start fast and uh, and making sure that, you know, of course, with the analogies, if you're in a fight, you don't want to wait for someone to strike you. Um, you want to make sure that not only do you strike first, but you strike often. And, and so um, I was pleased, you know, now being 40 years old, looking back, 
and, and I'm a true uh, Ohio State football fan. So even seeing the teams over the past, you know, darn near two decades, I was proud to actually see it through the set of eyes today and uh, to see how we jumped out fast and how, um, you know, a lot of things that the coaches talked to us about, about, you know, how are we going to handle adversity and how are you – uh, going to finish and, and are we going to play um, you know the the full four quarters of the game you know uh, coach Tressel always talked about the most important play is the punt play and um, you know I, I saw us on special teams and I just thought that we played a a, a very complete football game and so um, I was pleased you know just just looking back and uh, and, and of course there's a number of plays uh, again I talked about the opening drive um, yeah I had I had a lot more respect, and I always have respect for Craig Krenzel, but uh, some of the hits that he took in the game, um, I tweeted out, um, you know, a lot of us would have been ejected, you know, uh, you know, in today's football, you know, and um, I looked at a lot of the, the hits that Craig, you know, particularly took, and, you know, much respect to him and kudos for even getting up, and it just shows, the, you know, that type of grit that our team had. Um, you know, I think of uh, Maurice Claret having, um, you know, the state of mind, uh, the great awareness, you know, on the interception there where, um, you know, Craig was intending to throw a touchdown pass to Ben Harsock. And, you know, and, and the great Sean Taylor, you know, steps in front and, and gets an interception, and, you know, and he's heading up that sideline. And, you know, you know, I mentioned it, you know, I, I don't know where everyone is at, at, you know, that, that true freshman state of mind, but I thought for that stage and, and for what was on the line, uh, I think that was one of the, the, the greatest plays, um, not only in Ohio State football history, but just in college football uh, history. And, and knowing, um, you know, you know, you can also teach off of it as far as, you know, hey, you know, I tell my son who plays football, hey, if you get, you know, when you get the interception, make sure, you know, the same rules apply, you know, when you're on offense, you know, you, you want to have the ball on the outside hand. And, you know, you hear coaches harp on that, you know, day in and day out. But, you know, there it is, you know, on display on the biggest stage uh, in college football. So, you know, that play stands out. Um, you know, the devastating hit that Willis McGay took from Will Allen, um, mm -hmm. you know, that stands out. I can remember there for a minute, almost feeling almost gun shy, you know what I mean? Because again, that's a hard hitting game and, and you know that your body is being under duress and, you know, to, you know, and, and not, not, not to speak too specific on it, but I, I just never saw blood or, or swelling, um, you know, in someone's body area or body part area, you know, take off at such a high rate. And, and, and just knowing the agony. And then, again, you didn't really see uh, until later on or hear about it later on just how devastating because, again, we're all, we're all tied into doing our job and, you know, and making sure that we, we, we play, the de uh, play the defense. Um, of course, um, you know, there were plays there, like, uh, even before um, the game was over with, um, I felt like, you know, there was a lot of missed plays. This game comes down to – uh, you know, of course, the Miami fan base griping, you know, and complaining about um, the outcome, basing it all off of one play. And then, you know, having a chance to, you know, rewatch it in its uh, full entirety. Uh, there were a lot of misplays out there that went, you know, 
you know, not always in our favor. It went in their favor, too. Again, I think the game could have been over in regulation on the um, on the Chris Gamble play where not only did I feel he was held, but I also felt like he had, you know, a possession of the ball and caught the ball in bounds, which would have allowed our offense to run um, the, the clock out in regulation. Um, you know, but, you know, also, you know, again, referees, whether it's basketball, football, you know, they're always expected to, like, let let it all play out there in those last couple of seconds. And I felt like, you know, if you're a, a true football player and take your bias out of it and who you cheer for, if you look at that play at any point of the game, even there at the end, you know, something occurred there. And, and something, and, 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 and let's not act like it didn't warrant a, a flag in any way, shape, or form. I, I just feel like, as as uh, sports fans, we expect referees or officials or umpires or who, whatever the case may be, to swallow their whistle or their, you know, their authority to make uh, or you know the right plays. So again, you know, we get into overtime, um, and I just sort of, you know. I think when that play happened there, the very last play with the pass interference, um, there was a moment there. You got to understand, we did not lose a game that year, so there was never a post-game speech as far as uh, "Hey guys, you know, unfortunately we didn't get the win." It was never that, but we still had a pressure uh, on us from our coaches that you know they, they stayed on our ass, man. They they didn't allow us to read our clippings, our press clippings. And and they found creative ways to um, break down the numbers of the game, break down whatever our goals, our tasks, and functions were, and could still keep us motivated. So there, for like five or ten seconds, you know, you see the um, fireworks go off, and you see their players celebrating. And I felt like for that was the first time all season. Now imagine, we were in some tight games. That was the first time all season where I actually felt like, oh damn, like. This sucks, you know. This this, this isn't a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. But once there was the penalty, then honestly, in my heart of hearts, I knew we were going to win. I just felt like, man, like this, things like this don't happen. You know, what I mean, even as a kid, I watched enough national title games to know, like, you know, there's something special in the air out here in the desert. So when we get into overtime, of course, you know, we go through the first one. Once we got to the second overtime, and it was one of those deals where you know, Maurice had scored and we had went up, then it was on us as a defense. And I don't think, you know, and again, I can only speak for myself. You would have to ask the other 10 guys and the rest of the defensive unit. But I felt like as a, as a unit, we wanted it that way. Uh, and that's no disrespect to our offense, our special team units, uh, much respect to, you know, to, to both those units. But in that type of game, um, I felt like our defense had, um, they they had been so much of a staple to our 2002 team, and also to our success. And I felt like we had we had some dogs out there on defense. And um, and if you look, you know, it was week in and week out. There were guys who stepped up, and there were a number of different guys. It wasn't like we had, you know, one guy who we you know went to when when all when all of the you know when everything was on the line. We we had a number of guys who uh, were very talented and could uh, play their positions uh, uh, very well. So, you know, Marie scores, and now, you know, what defense doesn't want a great goal line stand? I mean, we talk about the last play, the fourth and one, but what a great goal line stand for any 
uh, Ohio State defense. You know, I look at um, settings being big. Any goal line stand is big, okay? But for 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 it being on that stage, it was huge. And so you you run down first down, second down, third down, and then you know it, it takes you to that last play. And um, you know, I can remember you know, griping and complaining throughout the game, telling, you know, D'Antonio, Mark Schneider, a number of different coaches, like, call some blitzes. And here it is, you know, the play call comes in, and Matt Wilhelm just sort of locks eyes because there's a special there's a special bond between those core units, whether it's the defensive back room, linebacker room, or D-line. And so, you know, he had got the call, and we locked eyes, and, you know, he makes that call, and I can, I'll never forget, man, until the day I die, you're like, Will Smith looking over his shoulder, man, and there was just a look. And anyone who knows Will, uh, Will was a man of action uh, more than words. If he had to speak, you were already in trouble, uh, one of those type of deals. So um, yeah. I, I respected that. And, um, again, you know, that that play, I can remember tight. Will also, you know, ready break. And we break. And, you know, again, this is big-time football. You cannot just – show your hand you have to disguise you have to you have to play the game um and you have to be uh, on very high alert and so you it's it's important to know down and distance it's important to know what's in front of you so you know the initially breaking the huddle you know we start there in the front seven i'm thinking to myself like oh man like i'm like a giddy kid i'm like oh man like please i see you know that you're going to stem to the outside but please don't do this too early because there's no tight end. There's no offset back. And it's, you know, it's like that childhood moment, man. I had a court in my backyard growing up and it's like you're out there as a kid, you had that three, two, one, and you just sort of let it fly and, and you want to hit that game winner. Well, that was like, that was going through my blood at the time. And so I'm thinking like, man, please do not, don't, don't mess this up. So, you know, I see Dorsey get under center, and I'm like, okay, at this point, let, let's get out there. And so as I'm stemming, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like, if this guy doesn't call a timeout, um, it's game over, man. And I guess that's where, like, everything sort of went into, like, that movie-type feeling where everything slows down, man, and you can hear your heartbeat, and you you can't hear the crowd anymore, and you're thinking about – winter conditioning you're thinking about letter of intent day when you're a young 18 year old senior or whenever it is in in february and you think about the class that you come in with and you think about being a kid from the great state of ohio you think about the john coopers who brought you here and the jim trestles who who have preserved your opportunities you think of the mark d'antonio's you think of the outback bowl from the year before when you're playing for your pride you think about those 13 seniors you think about the young guys behind you like aj hawk and trying to set a great example for those guys you think about the mike dawson's who came back for their senior year you think about the guys who are hurt you think about the scout team you think about the the rainy games you think about the holy buckeye you think about your family you think about your high school i'm from a small town in new philadelphia tuscross county you think about that all you carry that, and you and you understand that it is a special honor and a privilege to be a Buckeye, and that's going through your mind. Believe that or not, that shit was going through my mind. And then at the point in time where it's like, okay, they're not going to call a timeout. They're arrogant. They're, they're swag. They're, I don't know where their state of mind is. I know they're taking some hits this game, so I don't know where it's at, but 
once you understand that the play is going to unfold, your ribs don't hurt quite like they did. Your finger isn't out of place quite like it is. And you think about those guys and you understand that if I'm the guy who comes free, then it's my job to stay on the upside of the shoulder and bring that guy down. You know, and what I mean by that is it may not always be pretty the way that you get him to the ground, but it's state law that they go to the ground. And that state of mind is that if a guy six foot seven or eight, three hundred and fifty plus pounds, can be in a three point stance, and I'm in a two point stance, and if he can get back in his back pedal and blocking position, and and and, and disrupt me from going doing what I'm supposed to go do, then shame on me, shame on me, and I'll have to live with that not only in this moment, but for the rest of my life. I knew that. I didn't know that we'd be talking 20 some, you know, almost 20 years later, but that goes through your mind. And that's the type of pressure that you feel week in and week out. So when I got my hands on Ken Dorsey, it was, it it was almost like, Art, you have to, you can't allow this guy to throw the ball. You have to let him know that something has grabbed him and that he's going to the ground. And, uh, and so, um, you know, fortunately, you know, he let one go and Donnie Nicky again, you know, he catches hell over that, but that's what we were taught. That's smart football. There's no need to get an interception and something crazy happens. And then they score on some fluke shit. It, 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 he did right. He, he knocked the ball down, man. And we were national champs. And I, I look at the significance of that game for both programs and Miami brings swag. We bring game. And, you know, Ohio State was in that same predicament those three years prior to that. I think it was six and six, seven and five, eight and four, eight and five. And I think when Trestle came in in 01, you know, by him doing what he said he was going to do and us beating Michigan, that was huge. And I think by having that type of, you know, stimulation from the 02 season, it just made our program take off. And their program, again, is MIA, it's missing in action. And um, I think that was one of the greatest national championship games. I think we moved on from it quick. But I think when we go back, uh, that is another part of the beauty of watching it again. You know, a lot of respect. I've had people come up. I coached AAU basketball kids who weren't even born then. And so that was their first opportunity to hear about it. You know, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Coach C. I'm not the football player. So for them to have an opportunity to take a look at it and just have a respect and a new look at, you know, the the tradition, that rich tradition that Ohio State has that uh, continues to move forward, man. I know I'm long-winded, but I had to get that out. <laughs> no, that, that was awesome. No, that, it really was. It really was. When I, 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 I want to ask um, just one more Miami question before we move on. So on that very mm-hmm. last play, um, did you – what was your vantage point? Like, because you, you mentioned earlier in the game that you saw – um, like you thought that you lost at that moment, but were you able to see the ball hit the ground? Did you know immediately that you guys had won or no? No, actually, actually, uh, once I flung again, I told you I had that moment where I sort of, I couldn't hear anything, you know what I mean? It's almost yeah. like that twilight zone, that inner, inner body, you know, outer body experience. So once, you know, I, I made contact with him and, and flung him through the ground, Again, I sort of, you know, I walked away. I said what I said, and then I walked away. And it wasn't until Coach, you know, Mark Schneider, who was the the linebacker coach, it was once he made contact with me and grabbed me, it was like, boom, I could hear pandemonium. I could hear uh, the Ohio State fans. I could hear uh, just, you know, us in that state of celebration. And, And then, you know, 
it was almost like, oh, wow, like, we really did this. And, and, and again, you know, there was no – I think if you watched our team, uh, you know, we had a lot of success, but we were all like little kids. It wasn't like – there wasn't an arrogance, uh, not that I saw, maybe, you know, I may be wrong, but there wasn't like, we were all like little kids running around the field, you know, uh, grabbing the newspapers. I can remember wanting to see different reporters and, you know, sort of speak my mind. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sort of glad that I got pulled away from all that mess and just <laughs> took it in for what it was. And it was a great win. Uh, again, it was a great win for the state of, uh, Ohio, the great state of Ohio, knowing that the last time that we had won a title was 1968 and, and knowing that, you know, that drought was now uh, at the end. I mean, I had, um, you know, people, elderly individuals come up to me out there in the desert and, and shortly even after that, getting back to Columbus and they were like, you know what, now I can, I can, I, I'm at peace with life. You know I mean? I saw something that I didn't think I would possibly see, you know, something that I heard about, but I didn't, I, I wasn't, you know, in the flesh to witness it. So again, when you think about the magnitude of, um, of that game, uh, not only for the players who are current uh, and putting that time and effort in to, to bring a title home, but also from a fan, you know, um, and, and again, for the past two decades i've been able to you know detach myself and, and be a fan and it means a lot to us um when ohio state is is, is the ohio state and is performing at a high level and you know you know going after championships whether it's the big 10 national championship if there's a championship out there and we can you know be, take part in it that's what we want and there's a certain excellence that i love uh, that not only goes with the football program, but just uh, being a Buckeye, you know, you know, being on that oval and just just knowing that when you put that scarlet and gray on, you know, that is a certain armor um, that you can walk around with proud because you know that it speaks excellence, volumes of excellence. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's football, if it's sports, if it's academically, if it's social work. If it's, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what branch uh, you go in. Once you've hit Columbus and you take all that knowledge that you get there and you go out and, and, and take it to your own communities, uh, it's really beautiful to see, uh, you know, some of the people that uh, that place turns out. You mentioned that you're living in Pennsylvania now. What are you doing now in your life? Um, now in my life, uh, again, I told you that uh, I'm married and, and we're raising our family. Um, but, um, I, I work as a, a consultant in the oil and gas industry. I've been doing that, um, for over the past 10 plus years, uh, since leaving, uh, playing ball. And so that's been, that's been great. You know, I, I have a chance to work in an industry that uh, not a whole lot of people know about. They understand that there's an industry out there, but having a chance to consult, having a chance to take some of the uh, principles and values uh, that I uh, learned, you know, in my mom and dad's household and also that I learned from the great minds uh, at The Ohio State and then also, you know, take that into some of these uh, big-time companies and consult with them on, you know, how to get the best out of people. You know, I think one of my greatest skills is my people skills. 
um, and, 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 and my way of thinking. I think outside of the box. So, um, you know, I'm always trying to learn something every day. And, uh, and you know, you know, being able to observe a situation, um, comprehend what's going on, and then spit out at, a, at an effective and efficient rate on, on what needs to be done. So that's what I've been doing. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, it involves a lot of traveling. I've cut back a lot on uh, the traveling. I sort of picked uh, what projects and what states I'm going to be in because my kids are getting older. Uh, my son um, is entering his freshman year of high school, and um, he'll be a freshman at Pittsburgh Central Catholic, one of the top uh, 100 schools in, in the nation. And what I love about it is, um, you know, my wife and I always say our greatest investment in life is, is our kids. So, um, what we're going to do is always going to stimulate, uh, what's best for them. And I think, uh, you know, um, him having an opportunity to work on his faith, uh, for him to work on his academics and also to, you know, be challenged. And, and I always feel like, you know, in order to be the best, uh, at what you do, you need to surround yourself and compete against the best. So he'll have that opportunity. Uh, his dream is to wear the scarlet and gray here. Um, and uh, I told him that to get through those K doors, uh, there's nothing given. There's no uh, calls that can be made. You're going to either be what, you know, the Ohio State is looking for or not. And I can give you insight, but, you know, it still starts with you as a being. And, uh, and you you know, you're going to have to put that work in. And, and the one thing I've been pleased with, uh, he soaked everything up like a sponge, and, uh, and I've seen him put it to action. So, uh, again, I want to stay near home, uh, being very picky with where I'm going to spend uh, my time, and, um, you know, doing consulting work. But uh, that's important to me to, to be here and to watch uh, him grow over the next number of years. My wife and I, we also have four beautiful daughters. Um, they both go to Greensburg Central Catholic. They're all in private school. And, uh, and again, it's about faith. It's about getting those academics. And it's also about competing at a high level and, and making an impact. That's one thing my mother always taught me as a kid and, and my siblings is, you know, don't just be a floating soul. Don't just be there. Make an impact, you know, and be special and be, and be you because the good Lord has, made you uh, specifically one of you to uh to 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 fulfill a purpose in this life and so uh you want to make sure that uh you're aligning your kids in every way shape or form uh to be that um you know i hear this new thing you know uh about being it's cool now to be a uh, a girl dad well 2007 was when it became cool to me and uh that's when I, uh, when my oldest daughter Mackenzie was born, I knew at that point in time that, uh, of course, you know, as a man, uh, you you want a son. I think that's natural, uh, but man, um, do you get more out of life? And that's nothing against us as boys and men, but uh, you really get life lessons when you have a daughter. And again, <laughs> after her, there's been three that's followed, so I'm getting a lot of lessons. Uh, about myself, uh, about uh, how how young ladies think, and uh, and what's important to them, and and so uh, again, I I enjoy this type of life. I don't, you know, I'm I'm being more vocal now, more out there now, 
um, and, and I think it's important, but uh, the most important thing was making sure that I've been here and tried to be a great example to my kids and to the kids that have an opportunity to coach. That's another thing that I'm doing, uh, coaching AAU basketball. And, again, taking those life lessons and not only affecting my household and my kids, but trying to, uh, you know, affect other households, not just the kids but their parents. Because life is short, man. Um, it can be taken at any point in time. And uh, I tell the young kids that I coach, you know, sports is a vehicle. It's important that we find a vehicle and ride it. But let's look at things that we all are probably going to partake in in life if we live long enough. So we're working on our leadership skills. And, you know, we were doing this before everything has happened in the world, but it's funny how things happen and, and, and pushing with our kids that, yeah, let's work on our uh, athletic skills, but let's work on being a leader. The most important team that you lead will be your household. And let's make sure that we're using sports. We're using this time together to be vocal, to be leaders, to uh, learn how to lead, whether it's with action or, you know, speaking and inputting it in action. So, man, my everyday is, is filled, and um, I love life, and, you know, I'm going to just continue on this path. And, you know, I wish everyone else, whatever their purpose is in life, man, find it and go after it because it's needed. You mentioned there's a lot going on in the world right now. This, mm-hmm. These past couple weeks, you know, you have five children. What have your conversations been like with your children about, you know, what's happening in the world right now, you know, with, you know, the protests and, and Black Lives Matter and, and everything that's come up in the aftermath of George Floyd's death? Um, I, I think, um, man, the beautiful thing right now that's going on that has always been in my house, I can't speak for other households, but dialogue, communication. Uh, is key. Again, we have five kids and they range from 14 to one. So my older kids have phones. And so again, as parents, if if you can, you would try to uh, hold your kids from seeing, you know, some of the things that they see, but when they have social media outlets and they're seeing things unfold and we're going through quarantine and, you know, for a while there it was COVID-19 and we're talking about that, and we're talking about social distancing, and we're talking about, you know, pandemics, and, 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 you know, going through, you know, finishing out of school year online, and uh, and going through, um, you know, new, you know, a newness, I guess a new normal, uh, you know, and then, you know, in, in the wake of all, all the COVID-19, um, you know, we have Mr. Floyd who gets um, who gets murdered in, in in broad daylight there in Minneapolis, and 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 then that's when you know the the conversations are going on when my kids are coming up to me with tears in their eyes and my older ones and 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 the effect that not only it had on my wife and I and everyone who I knew. But just right there in, in my own household, seeing how my 14 and 12 year old uh, took it, and they took it hard, and they and they they had hard questions that they asked uh, their mother and I, and they wanted they wanted answers, and it wasn't one of these, hey, let me get back to you. It was, no, this is this is messed up, 
And, uh, and one thing I talked to my wife about, um, and, and we talked to our kids about, you know, is, you know, kids are innocent, you know, now my kids are about as tall as me, but they're still babies and they're still young. And, um, and, 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 you know, things affect them in, in different ways. I, I told my wife, I said, you know, how many times have we seen a murder play out from start to finish in our lives? You know, I mean, I don't care if you watch IDTV or et cetera. You know, it, it rarely allows you that type of feed to where you see it happen from beginning until end. And so for that to happen, again, that shakes the nation in, in a way. And, again, we're all at home during this time. You know, there's no sports. There's no, hey, some of the schools, are, we have to get to baseball or track or whatever is going on. You know, we're all at home to see this, and we have to face this. And so my kids wanted questions. I mean, they, they had questions, they, and they wanted answers. You know, like, why? Why? Why, why did the man kneel on his neck like that? What was he doing in order for them to do that? Why did it take four officers uh, to detain? So there's different lingo that comes out, detain, arrest, you know, that you go, you go through and, and, and you talk to, you know, and they're watching the news too and they have these social media feeds, so they want to know what injustices are. And, they, you know, they knew what they were, but they want to talk deeper about the social injustices. And not only the social injustices that go on um, and with racism and what goes on um, with, you know, uh, police brutality and the um, black community, but also, like, women's rights. And they have a right to feel that way, and I feel strongly about that. Again, having daughters and, 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 and trying to know better now and, and why there is an equal pay and uh, and, and um and and with um uh, everything that's going on and and so it's put us in a, a situation as parents to where um maybe we're uncomfortable but maybe we need to get uncomfortable you know i i, I asked for prayer to uh, speak to my team now the team that i coach it's like a melting pot i have kids from all different ethnicities and backgrounds and races and everything. So, you know, when, it, when I was asked to speak, and again, two of my kids are within this organization. When I was asked to speak, you know, I wanted to make sure that I didn't just, you know, spout off, you know, any type of dialogue uh, with these kids. And I wanted to make sure that, you know, first of all, I prayed on it, man. I wanted my, my, uh, I wanted the Lord to order my steps and my words, man, and understand that, yeah, again, there's a lot of these kids that look in the eye and are taller than me, but they're babies. And so what I, you know, I didn't feel comfortable as a coach just speaking to the kids by themselves. So, um, you know, I let it be known that, hey, you know, there's different things that you're asked to do that, you know, it's not appropriate to say, ah, I don't know, get somebody else this way. No, you've done enough in your life to where you you just speak from the heart, man, and you let you, you let them know. And so um, one one thing that I did come back with, I said, I'll speak, but it's important to me that the parents are there. I want parents there with my players. Now, I have a bond with all my players, but I want their parents there. It's that serious. Because, again, our kids, and I'm not the only one, you know, it's a lot of like-minded parents uh, in, in this organization, but I felt it was important to have the kids 
and their parents there and because they are our greatest investment and to speak and to speak from the heart and every household is different than mine so if i say something that you don't want your kids to hear i at least want you to be there to hear it you know i don't want this being like you know coming from someone else so there's been a lot of dialogue whether it's been in my household with my kids i've even had my four-year-old and my eight-year-old and you know come up and say dad what what's what's going on you know even with the protest and and you know what i mean because you know our, our tv is either on cnn fox you know a combo different news outlets it's hard to not find us looking at the news and trying to educate ourselves and, and also understanding that you know this is a um an election year and one thing i know about every four years in this great country that we live in is that you're going to hear a lot of truth and you're going to hear a lot of false and there's going to be a lot of propaganda and there's going to be a lot of going on you know uh, as far as people spitting out their agendas and life and you know i have very strong viewpoints and i don't want to get on and, and go too political but i do have very strong viewpoints and i i feel like I have to have my defense up sometime because maybe my viewpoints don't align with what everyone feels they should be, but that's okay. That, that is the beauty of uh, America is that we all have that right to align ourselves or vote or, you know, you know, you know, put ourselves in positions to feel the way that we feel. And, um, you know, the way that I talk to my kids is that, you know, you know I, I like to think outside the box, okay? So, you know, we start with the Constitution. And, you know, I, and I, and, you know I, I've probably paid more attention to it now uh, than, than ever and, and just going back through it and, and looking at things. But, you know, just again, this, just my thoughts outside the box thinking, you know, um, the constitution was written so long ago and it has so much information that I feel like, um, we can't hide behind, um, certain issues, matters, uh, going on in the world anymore. And I, I'm not a fan of rewriting, uh, or, or redoing the constitution, but I do feel like we need to get leaders and minds who, you know, okay, it's going to be hard to find people without a bias, but we need to get progressive thinking individuals, just my thought, who who look at the issues at hand, because I believe there's more than just one issue that needs uh, addressed urgently right now. But I do feel like, you know, I keep hearing about these phantom leaders, like this, that, and the other. And, and what I can realize right now is that, you know, you can hear when it's political talk, and you can t tell when someone's being genuine. You can tell when someone's not being genuine, you know, and I think the American people are much smarter than what people in government give us. So I feel like if we're really going to move in a positive direction, these are some of the things that are going to happen. I'll be quiet because I know I've, I've spoken a lot. Um, communication, real dialogue, real communication is going to have to happen, meaning that it can't be any more of, it can't be any more of, I don't want to talk about it or I don't see it that way. We're going to have to have real dialogue, 
real communication. And while this dialogue and communication is going on, we're going to have to use one of our five senses, which is listening. We're going to have to listen to what people are saying, and we're going to have to um, try to comprehend, try to understand what people are telling us. And then through understanding what is in the conversation, then we'll have an opportunity to have empathy, meaning you can step outside of yourself and see it through someone else's eyes and have empathy. Once everybody understands and is on one accord with the empathy and understanding the different changes that need to happen, then we can move forward with positive change. But pointing the fingers, a lot of things I've seen lately, like pointing the fingers at President Trump, pointing the fingers at Joe uh, Biden, that, that's, again, not a solution base. That's, that's typical politics as normal. It's not our fault. It's your fault. It's not our fault. It's your fault. That's bullshit at this point in time. We need real leaders to step up and say, you know what, outside of my party, whether it's right or left, there, there are changes that need to happen. And there's a lot of red tape that is written into our, our government and our laws and the way that we go about things, but those are broken, systematic ways of going about it. And we just need to understand that, uh, like my grandmother said, you know, once you know better, you'll do better. You know, you would do better if you knew better. And we know better. We know better as Americans. We know better that we know that change needs to happen and not just in one area of life, but in multiple areas. And we need to get on that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm actually listening for that type of voice. And I'll know it when I hear it, who is outside the party line, who is more about the human beings than they are about, you know, red and blue and who really has a care about the next generation. You know, if my life ends at 40 years old today, I lived a damn good life. Do I know that there were different uh, systematic screw-ups that uh, were there to be slip trips and falls for my life? Yeah. But at 40, I still went and did pretty much what I wanted to go do, who I fight for, who I want, uh, better for us for my kids and that generation behind us. And I was talking to my niece who's 20 years old and even to my kids, I want better for them. I don't want them when they have a police officer uh, put their lights on them for whatever reason to feel like, Oh shit, you know, am I going to die today? And when, when you know you haven't done anything to feel that way, that doesn't need to happen. Some of this extra uh, curricular activity, as I like to call it, that, that you see out here, it's not needed. But there's a lot of things that go into, um, you know, officers uh, maybe even feeling that way. We all need to correct ourselves as people, like, like not just black, not just white. As Americans, we need to be better people. You know what I mean? Some of these situations, some of these neighborhoods, some of these areas, you probably do have your heartbeat rolling out. And you're like, oh, shit, because there's a history. There, there, there is a knowing that police know, too, that, you know, hey, I better have my mind right or, or, or I want to go home to my family, too. I have law enforcement um, family members, too, so I hear it from both sides. It's us as a people who have to realize, again, that's where that communication comes. That's where that understanding, empathy, and then real change happen. But right now we're in election year, and I think that we're in for a long haul. I think uh, it's unfortunate that Mr. George Floyd uh, has um, uh, was killed in broad daylight. You know, I think that's the scariest part. You know, usually evil happens at night. Evil uh, doesn't want to ha- happen in front of a, a camera. You know, that shit played out. You know, earlier I was telling my kids and my team, 
you know, earlier that day we had practice for basketball, and we were talking about Memorial Day, and we were talking about the men and women that serve and have lost their lives uh, for our freedoms out here. And I go later on that day, that plays out. Like Stephen Jackson was saying, like the greatest fear happened. Like a, a crime, a murder plays out on broad in broad daylight with people watching. They have their cameras out. And we're still going through a process of, well, what happened? Because there's politics. There's a lot of agendas. There's a lot of red tape involved in that. But that, that was scary to see that play out. And it doesn't matter who it was, but it so happened to be what is at the forefront and what we like to turn a blind eye to, which is police brutality when it comes to the African-American community. There's nothing that George Floyd did, and we, I'm sure they'll bring up his history and his past. So what? There's nothing that man deserved or did that day to deserve that to happen. You hear about these cops, oh, they're only on their third shift. You know what? You had young people who had their cameras out, adults. Where's your human side? Where's, where's so, so do you lose that in a job? And I understand it. Believe me, I see it in, in all industries, including my own. It's hard to tell someone who trains you or someone who is your superior that, hey, what you're doing is wrong or, or you know, or, or whatever. But even in what I do as a consultant, I teach, hey, see something, say something. Everybody knows that group of individuals that will sit there and whether it's on a job site whether it's in, uh, you know, the work, whatever it is, they'll sit there and say, oh, yeah, watch this shit's going to happen. This is going to happen. They're basically talking about a situation that's hazardous to the team and the goal is going to happen, and they'll keep it within their little buddy-buddy group. And then if something happens, the first thing they say is, I told you, I told you. Well, well, I've told those people, you're a problem. You're just as much as a problem as a person who maybe is doing wrong, blatant wrong, but you're much as a problem too because you know better. If you see something, say something, and then, and, and, and then we can get uh, the situation done. So meaning, you know, there's plenty of people, teams who pay, pay the price. You know, there's plenty of people sitting there saying, hey, get off of him. He can't breathe. The man was saying he couldn't breathe. Where's your human side? Any real human being or, you know, can, can, can step in and say, hey, man, listen, listen, hey, that's, that's not what the hell we're supposed to be there. Or if that's your training officer, is, the, is that what that department's being trained to do? You know, I mean, I think it's a whole culture. I think it's, you know, these, these four officers, yeah, I think a heavy price needs to be paid. But I think that there needs to be an audit of all these uh, situations that are going on whether they're the laws that are in place to have slip trips and falls in certain uh, minority communities or the way that we're policing, but defunding policing is, is, is like wild thinking to me. Like, come on, like it's, it can't be that extreme with it. Like, like even if, even let's just say that we're putting uh, programs in place to rehabilitate um, the uh, police departments, that's going to take money bring people in and train and you know correctly so so when you're taking money away from some of these areas that don't have the money as it is yeah we could point to certain departments and say hey these guys are looking like the military now they have too much but then you can look at other ones that don't have that going on so like i just think that that's agenda talk and i i don't think that's like real solution talk what can we honestly do now that we know that there's an issue that's not going away to get solutions done and arguing and fighting, violence, looting, uh, all this shit is like not going towards helping America. 
Like, man, I worry every day now. Like, I'm like, okay, our country is a mess right now. Like, like you don't have to be brilliant to see that. So I'm like, okay, we have it feels like the whole world hates our uh, our president, and, and it feels like you know we have you know these different leeches out here that are gonna you know use COVID and use, you know, Mr. Floyd's death and, and a number of things to try to get in office. You just have all this mayhem going on. And then you have these other countries ab- abroad. Like, it's like, like, what are they thinking right now? You know what I mean? Like, like, how are they looking at us as a country? Or like, you know, we have a history too. Like, what if, what if we have bad blood with someone that us as American people really don't know? Like, what are they thinking right now? Like, are, are are their countries plotting against us? And maybe I maybe I have too much time, or I guess, on my hand to think. But I'm just like, we need to tighten. Excuse me, but we need to tighten up. We have to tighten up as a country quick, or like, there's going to be more issues on the table than what we're dealing with right now. Like, the issues on our table right now, yeah, they're big issues. But damn, if we just put our heads together and like get a group of people and not this who has the biggest stick to swing around, but if we could just come together and tighten up our own house, then we could be like the great country that even when I was a kid, you always heard about. And I'm not saying that we're not great. Now I will live in the United States before I live anywhere. I've been out of the country. I'm cool on it. I'll deal with our problems and, and whatever the hell we're dealing with. Let's deal with it before I go and make a residence somewhere else. But what can we do to make sure that we tighten up in an uh, effective and, and efficient way and quickly and urgently so that we can get back to being a great country that we are and that we can also keep our eye out on one another. Because right now, like, if I'm another country right now and I do have bad blood with the United States, I'm like, shit, they're wounded right now. They're like a wounded animal. Like, it, it, no better time than now. And that's scary. And so I just pray to God each and every day that we tighten up. We can have our differences. That's, that's part of our democracy. Uh, let's have our differences. Let's, let's get to the table. Let's use our minds. I, I give Americans the benefit of the doubt that we are great people. We're brilliant. We're smart. When we put our minds to something, we get it done. And let's get it done. And let's get it done for today. Let's get it done for tomorrow. And let's get it done because I do feel like at the end of the day, that is what our great constitution is about. It's about the people and it's about progressing and progressing as people. And I I don't think that uh, our forefathers or anyone before us would feel some type of way if we went over their foundation that they laid down for us as a people and understand, you know, how can we tailor this uh, so that it can work to its best benefit for 2020 and, you know, beyond. But again, I know this isn't something that's going to happen overnight, but, uh, we can damn sure get on it. And, uh, and again, I'm not the person, but I'll know who, um, I'll know through a person's voice and how genuine they are and what they're talking about, uh, when we have that. But in the meantime, it's business as usual. And you're going to have people jump on the Democrat boat and, you're going to have, uh, you know, us Republicans uh, as Republicans, and it's a shame. So I'll be quiet. <laughs> no, it's, I appreciate you uh, sharing your perspective. Well, uh, again, I, I I try not to be too influenced by 
even news stations or too many people. It's it's uh, the good Lord has blessed me with a mind. He's blessed me uh, with common sense, and I sort of just sort of want to be the free spirit that I am. And again, I'm, there's nothing political about me, but I. I feel very strongly about uh, this country. I feel very strongly about today and tomorrow. And um, I want I want our kids and um, their kids to have the same liberties uh, that we strive for each and every day. And um, I just don't, you know, I don't want to be disappointed with our country with blatantly having an elephant in the room now that everybody is... Uh, you know, unless you're just all the way blind, uh, you can see the the elephants in the room, and I'll I'll be very very proud one day when we put together a group of people who uh, are no nonsense and you know put something together for all of us to work. Not one of these situations where it's agenda based to where it's a lot of lobbying and this side wins and this side loses. No, the American be what is best for the American people to thrive and be the best not only today but forever, forever. And if we can uh, overcome our dark past and be accountable, I think that's what we all ask for in the workforce. That's what we ask for out of our kids. You know, we ask for a lot out of a, a, us as Americans, as people, you know, be law-abiding citizens, uh, be educated, make sure that, um, you, know, uh, you know, the most important questions are yes and no, you know, right and wrong. Well, if we can take the big step and, 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 and be examples uh, as a whole government and as a whole country in that way. And again, it may be wishful thinking. I just think it'll be a hell of a step in the right direction. And um, and so again, all you can do is do what you can do and pray and uh, get up each and every day that you're blessed with and fight the good fight and stand strong. I, I highly encourage any and everybody out there, whether you're Democrat, Independent, or Republican, stand strong for what you believe. Uh, stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Do not be easily wavered. And again, we all have households that we have to take care of. And a lot of the change that's going to happen in this world is going to start individually in the households, period. So it starts with a lot of the stuff that we're faced with right now, tough conversations and dialogue with our kids. Uh, again, uh, if we do what we're supposed to do in our household and none of us parents are perfect in any way, shape, or form, but if we do what we are supposed to do um, and, and teach uh, our kids and our family, you know, be truthful, you know, about the narrative of what's going on, but also speak also about where we want to be too. Not always about where we've been or what's going on today, but where we would like to see this country be and, and where we would, you know, like, a, like, like to see our kids be and then work um, diligently and urgently uh, towards those things. This is admittedly a bad segue from a really serious topic, but the last thing I oh, wanted okay. to ask you here was a couple weeks ago, one of our listeners asked me to sing on this podcast and it, I, it did not go very well, but I've, I've heard oh. you sing and you're, and you're pretty good. I, w I wanted to request, could we get a little Carmen Ohio to uh, close out this interview? Yeah, how about we do the last line? That works for me. Does that, that work? Right, that works for go. me. All right. <laughs> 
Time and change will surely show how firm thy friendship, oh, Go Bucks. <laughs> I have no doubt that a hundred percent of our listeners will agree that you are a much bigger, better singer than I am. Hey man. Hey, I appreciate that, man. I'm sure you have uh, other skills that, uh, you're better than, than, than me. So, you know, I'll take that, but, uh, Hey, I really appreciate you guys having me on today. Uh, again, um, I know I'm long winded, uh, but I'm passionate and I care. And, uh, and I know I'm not the only one out there that is passionate and care. Uh, and, uh, you know, God willing, uh, we'll have Buckeye football this year. Um, we'll be able to take a move forward. I'm, I'm looking forward uh, to this upcoming season. Um, the most important thing is making sure that the athletes uh, are safe and making sure that there's proper protocol in place, which I fully trust that, uh, you know, Mr. Gene Smith, uh, Coach Ryan Day, and, you know, everyone else involved will take care of our players and our team. Um, really looking forward to, I always call it the Ryan Day train. Uh, I love what uh, he has going on there offensively. Uh, looking forward to Justin Fields, um, you know, second year under helm. Uh, see where we got Trey Sherman uh, coming in to help uh, Master Teague and those guys there in the backfield. We have, uh, you know, a slew of uh, skill positions. Uh, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, uh, a number of different guys uh, for, you know, a number of different weapons for uh, fields. Uh, offensive line coming back, I like seeing that. Uh, defensively, I think with Coach Johnson, you always are going to have a, uh, a chance there with the defensive line. Um, you know, we have a veteran group there at linebacker. A guy's got some starts underneath their belt uh, who are going to step up and, uh, and lead that group in that room. Uh, you know, I think uh, we have one of the better defensive backs in the country uh, and, and Mr. Wade, and I know that uh, he'll be a leader and, uh, and have that group tighten up, and, uh, and, and I expect us to be uh, great on special teams. So there's a, a lot to look forward to, but again, in life, you just, you know, you take it one day at a time, and uh, and, and we'll take today, and, uh, and, and we'll pray for it tomorrow. So again, I appreciate you guys having me on. Hopefully this won't be the last time, and uh, shout out to your viewers, to my followers, and you guys have a great day. And once again, we want to thank C. Grant for joining us on this week's show. Uh, lots of good stuff there. Really enjoyed uh, getting his perspective on uh, the 2002 Ohio State team and, and life as well. Lots of good things to say there. So we hope you all enjoyed that interview. Yeah, I think his uh, 15, 20-minute, I guess I would call it a monologue about the national championship was an incredible answer um, to me personally. I, I don't know about what you thought, Dan, but I thought – like that was, I mean, you, you. I thought it was fascinating. One that you know he hadn't watched it since um, 2003, and then two, um, you know, he has so many deep, rich memories from that game, and and I think it's cool that you know he got to share them with you know the world when ESPN um, did that retrospective a, a few weeks ago. 
Yeah, that was really insightful, and uh, we'll apologize to some of you listeners. Uh, some of you had sent in questions we didn't get to ask all of them, but the truth is, he answered most of them himself. So uh, that that was one reason why we didn't we didn't get to ask all of your questions that you sent in this week. Uh, but you know, really appreciate him sharing his perspective. Uh, I know it. I know for me, as somebody who was very young in in 2002 and and did not get to. Uh, fully appreciate that game, and I know you're in the same boat, Colin. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot from listening to him talk oh, about yeah, that. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I was, what, I'm trying to think, seven years old when that happened. <laughs> I can't say that I uh, I was tuned in and, and, and watching that one live, but, I mean, you live around Columbus as long as I have or you have, and, and you get an idea of, of what that one meant. Thanks again to C. Grant, and thanks again to all of you uh, for listening in to this week's episode. Uh, Ohio State football players uh, back at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. So, uh, you know, feeling good about the prospects of football season, and we're going to continue to have a lot more uh, football talk on this show and at 11warriors.com all summer long. So thanks again for tuning in, and, and we'll talk to you again next week.